1: Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you are listening to Pull Up a Chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Okay, today is kind of, you know, I always talk about the good stuff, the fun stuff. I am going to be talking about just some stuff that annoyed me this week. Yeah, Donald Trump really annoyed me this week, and I never talk politics. I loathe talking politics, but... I guess it'll just kind of come out of my pores or something today. So first of all, let's have our romper room moment because I am so excited. We're all united. We're all together. My big living room is filled with listeners from the United States. Boquet tover Israel. You're with us today. Jamaica is with us. Uh, The UK is listening in. Nigeria is with us this morning. Norway is listening in. And I wrote Jamaica twice. That's how much I like you. And South Africa is with us. Also, the Republic of Moldova, Algeria, and Romania. This is so exciting. I really do have a sense. I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. I have a sense of us all together in the living room having coffee. Uh, We're also going to talk a lot about Parsha today because it's very interesting. Uh, In a world that seems so out of control, parents... Parents competing with a society that is screaming "We're woke, we're woke." What does the Torah have to say about that? Does our father Yaakov Avinu, Jacob, does he have anything to say in the last moments of his life about successful parenting? I frequently talk about how the Torah is indeed the only blueprint. You have a foggy day, you don't know what's going on. Check out the Torah. It will absolutely clear your head. Let's see. What else? We're going to talk about, um, oh, Miss South Africa. I just love her. Can I get her on this show? I love her. She's lovely. She's brave. And, of course, we're going to talk about how incredible our beloved Israel, how we shone this week during the Miss Universe pageant. I didn't know there was a Miss Universe pageant, but apparently there is. That and so much more. My name is Andrea Simintov. Guess what? I'll see you on the other side.
0: Israel News Talk Radio. Straight Talk from Israel Howdy, Bruce Brill here from Nokdim, Israel, in Judea, the homeland of the Jews, and I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio.
1: And we're back. Andrea Simintov, pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Okay. So today we're going to talk about, of course, Parsha. That goes without it. I'm going to get all the crappy news. Am I allowed to say crappy on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com? I'm not so sure. Anyway, we're going to get all the crummy news out this first segment because the rest is going to be fun because I like fun. I go for fun. Okay, so the first thing we want to say is that I came across a lovely quote. Don't ask me where I got it, all right? It's a quote. (laughs) Just a little land on me. And let's talk about happiness. Uh, Happiness, that kind of ethereal thing. Oh, we all want to be happy, happy, happy. But you know what? If you want to be happy, this is the quote I came across. If you want to be happy, be happy on purpose. You wake up in the morning. And don't just wait and see what kind of a day you're going to have. You have an opportunity to choose. You can decide what kind of a day you'll have. Higher thoughts, higher energies, higher vibrations, higher frequencies, higher experiences, higher awareness. It is up to us. Remember, we're not in this. We, we get to choose. We are active participants okay let me get rid of this because if i don't you can't ignore this you cannot ignore the elephant in the room this week several articles came out i wish it could come out just on my little uh, facebook feed but not so much came out donald trump i believe he's writing a book oh, why shouldn't he write a book um accusing netanyahu of deceiving him deceiving him on a. Over all the uh, peace initiatives and his intentions in a series of explosive comments, former U.S. President Donald Trump accused former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of deceiving him and his administration about his sincerity to make peace with the Palestinians. Okay, so we're going to say, what does Andrea have to say about this? You know. As I said many times over, I very frequently am accused of being the uh, the leftist on the station. I'm no leftist. I tend to be virulently right-wing if I have to fall into a camp. Nevertheless, I was never charmed. Big, big, a lot of Shabbos table discussions. Never charmed by Mr. Trump. Um, and I will admit it here. As an American holding my nose, I voted for Donald Trump. But I'm telling all of us, don't be lemmings. Don't be puppets. Puppets, Keep your eyes, Israel. You don't have to love it and just say, my guy, right or wrong. This guy, just as the left accused him of having a massive ego, his comments against Benjamin Netanyahu, who, again, is a... Uh, I'm having problems with Bibi a lot on these days, things he's saying since he's the head of the opposition. But I must tell you, the vulgarity, the rudeness, the crudeness, coarse comments. And in response to his comments, Netanyahu insisted in a statement that he had great appreciation for Mr. Trump, just like a true diplomat. What are some of the things he said? I don't think Bibi ever wanted to make peace. Let's throw this page away. Here is where the ego comes in. And I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you, live with your eyes wide open. Quote, nobody did more for Bibi and Israel than I did, said Trump. Also money. We gave a lot of money. I gave troops. Everything we did. Although it is unclear what the reference to providing Israel with troops was, there were no troops provided. Quote, the Golan Heights was a big deal. People said that it was a $10 billion gift. He would have lost the election if it wasn't for me. He was tied and then he went up a lot after I did the Golan Heights. Then he uses the F word on Benjamin Netanyahu for having committed the crime of congratulating the new president of the United States, Joe Biden. Quote, I liked Bibi. I still like Bibi, but I also like loyalty. The first person to congratulate Biden was Bibi. And not only did he congratulate him, he did it on tape. The fact of the matter is, and this is coming from me, I, as an Israeli, was embarrassed how long it took Benjamin Netanyahu to do the right thing and pick up the phone. I thought he was such a toady it was so glaringly absent his phone call to Joe Biden when he won the election. (sighs) All right. And then the last one, I'll tell you what had not here it goes. Had I not come along, I think Israel was going to be destroyed. Okay. You want to know the truth. I think Israel would have been destroyed maybe by now. (sighs) The arrogance, the chutzpah, the television star, the fact is, the only one in charge is God in heaven. Trump, like Bibi, like you, like me, we are all cogs, cogs with free will, as we will discuss, of course, in today's uh, show, in the, when we do Parsha. And here is the last quote that I love the most. In Israel, I'm the most popular person. Who are the 20% in Israel who don't support me that are so ungrateful? they are bad people oh boy oh boy get ready where are the voices of sanity the voices of america's right wing the voices that can lead the american government save it from itself and from clowns who are hijacking your system there will be more i know i will hear from people Feel free write to me, Andrea at Radio dot com. Tell me how Biden stole the election, and um, okay, we got rid of that. I am telling you, the voice of accuracy, the voice of lunacy. But not everybody just gets a seat at the table just because they're so crass, so vulgar. All right, other stupid news of today. I know you've heard this. I ask all of you to find a copy of the book, find a copy of the book used online of the Philip Roth novel called The Human Stain. Okay. The Human Stain. If you do it, you'll understand the correlation to what I'm talking about today. A Fordham university professor Fordham is up It's not in the Bronx. It's, I think it's in the upper West side. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, he was fired after he mixed up the names of two black students in class hours after what he called an innocent mistake and obviously terrified, um, cornered by political correctness fellow named Christopher Trogan. He was a professor, not a half professor, not an associate professor not an instructor, a full professor, 46. He sent a terrified, insane, rambling, nine-page email to students in his uh, Composition 2 classes explaining his mistake for mixing up the name of two students and kept begging, listen, I didn't mean it. I'm not a racist. My entire life worked with issues of justice, equality, inclusion, according to the campus newspaper. Shocking And just the whole thing was embarrassing. And what did the students say? If he would have apologized for mixing up our names, it would have been over. I'm turning my page because this is my favorite part. (laughs) Okay. According to one of the students, one of the entitled students who said, Trogan was a nice teacher for the five classes that I had him for. Five classes he registered for this kid. But he never attempted to get to know me personally, wrote one newspaper commentator about him. Uh, I don't think he deserved to get fired, but his response to a small issue was what blew the entire thing up. (sighs) Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Another day in our politically correct, woke world. What happened with learning? What happened with teaching? Teaching. You're allowed to mess up some names. Again, get the book, The Human Stain, Philip Roth, one of his best books. Actually, his best book, according to me, was uh, American Pastoral, but that's a different subject. Okay, let's see here. Um, Oh, okay. Came across this, delicious, adorable, loved it. Ten of the greatest quotes about Israel and the Jews. I hope you will like it. Mark Twain, our favorite Mark Twain. You know, Mark Twain came to Palestine. I think it was in the early, early 20th century, if I am not mistaken. Okay? According to Mark Twain, if statistics are correct, the Jews constitute but 1% of the human race. It suggests a nebulous Dim puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Way. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of, but he is heard of, has always been heard of. He is as prominent on the planet as any other people, and his commercial importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, and abstruse learning are also a way out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvelous fight in this world in all ages and had it done with his hands tied behind him. He could be vain of himself and be excused for it the Egyptian, the Babylonian, and the Persian rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise, and they are gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out, and they sit in twilight now, or have vanished. The Jews saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he had, always was.
0: Hi, my name is Michael ben from Slovakia. Israel News Talk Radio is just the best radio station in the world and I listen every day. Shalom, everybody. Making a difference often takes just one moment and one person at a time. I'm Orly Benny Davis, your show host on Israel News Talk Radios from Jerusalem with love. You'll be hearing people talking about politics, religion, social issues, and making a better tomorrow. Join me, Orly Benny Davis, for God and country from Jerusalem with love. Wednesdays on Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs>
1: And we're back. Andrea Simito, pull up a chair on Israelnewstalkradio.com. Okay, I was was apparently getting very passionate, very carried away with myself after my Donald Trump. Oh, I don't want him at my Shabbos table. Definitely not. Okay, so I was going on all this interesting stuff. What did they actually call this? The contributions of the Jews, the good stuff of the Jews, 10 Greatest Quotes about the Jews. All right. So um, there's some some of my favorites. Okay, John Adams, who I actually heard was the first president to live in the White House. I passed a survey the other day. Okay, John Kennedy said, Israel was not created in order to disappear. Israel will endure and flourish. It is the child of hope and the hope of the brave. It can neither be broken by adversity nor demoralized By success. It carries the shield of democracy and it honors the sword of freedom. I guess the guy I spoke about in the first chapter didn't actually hear that part. Um, Let's see, David Ben Gurion, (laughs) just thinking of the hairdo. In Israel, in order to be a realist, you must believe in miracles. And von Goethe, we actually have a von Goethe institute, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Energy is the basis of of everything. Every Jew, no matter how insignificant, is engaged in some decisive and immediate pursuit of a goal. It is the most perpetual people of the earth. Okay, what did Winston Churchill have to say? I'm racing along. Winston Churchill, some people like the Jews and some do not. But no thoughtful man can deny the fact that they are, beyond any question, the most formidable and most remarkable race that has appeared in the world. And Leo Tolstoy, this is interesting. I don't really know much about Tolstoy. I know a lot more about Trotsky, but don't confuse them. What did Leo Tolstoy have to say about the Jews? What kind of unique creature is this, whom all the rulers of all the nations of the world have disgraced and crushed and expelled and destroyed, persecuted, burned and drowned, and who, despite their anger and their fury, continues to live and to flourish What is this Jew whom they have never succeeded in enticing with all the enticements in the world, whose oppressors and persecutors only suggested that he deny and disown his religion and cast aside the faithfulness of his ancestors. The Jew, according to Tolstoy, is the symbol of eternity. He is the one who for so long had guarded the prophetic message and transmitted it to all mankind. A people such as this can never disappear. The Jew is eternal. He is the embodiment of eternity. And what does Benjamin Disraeli have to say? The view of Jerusalem is the history of the world. It is more. It is the history of earth and of heaven. Elie Wiesel the late, great Elie Wiesel. I marvel at the resilience of the Jewish people. Their best characteristic is their desire to remember. No other people has such an obsession with memory. But here is my favorite. Okay, let me just see how we're doing here. Good. My favorite is from Eric Hoffer. This is really the right season for this quote. The Jews are a peculiar people, things permitted to other nations are forbidden to the Jews. Other nations drive out thousands, even millions of people. And there is no refugee problem. Russia did it. Poland and Czechoslovakia did it. Turkey threw out a million Greeks and Algeria, a million Frenchmen. Indonesia threw out heaven, knows how many Chinese, and no one says a word about refugees. But in the case of Israel, the displaced Arabs have become eternal refugees. Everyone insists that Israel must take back every single Arab. Arnold Toynbean calls the displacement of the Arabs an atrocity greater than any committed by the Nazis. Other nations, when victorious on the battlefield, they dictate peace terms. But when Israel is victorious, it must sue for peace. Everyone expects the Jews to be the only real Christians in the world. I liked that. I liked that a lot. <laughs> okay, so let me just see here. How are we doing here? Okay, now let's go on. Let us talk about my favorite person this week is, and I, correct me if my spelling is wrong, as my pronunciation is wrong, Leila Lali Mizwane. She is home from the Miss universe pageant that took place in israel i think it happened on sunday is that possible uh happened on sunday and she came in second place but she'll always be i'm embarrassed to tell you i don't even really know who came in first place But anyway, she undertook this journey. Despite the withdrawal, the South African government literally withdrew its um, support of her. I don't know how she came. I don't know how it was paid for. Um, She very clearly stated that she received death threats for her, her family. However, when asked if she would do it again, she unequivocally, unequivocally replied. Say that three times fast she would. Okay, she spoke about all these horrible things that happened to her. She's a lady, she's classy, she's beautiful. I don't know. I know South Africa is thrilled. I am thrilled. And according to a blog post, one of my favorite blog posts, um the state of Israel was the real winner in the Miss Universe pageant that I don't know how. I mean, I never even heard about it, but it was incredible. They what had they done? They um, they highlighted the food of Israel, the Judean Desert, the Sea of Galilee, Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, Jaffa, Haifa, Caesarea. Uh, the Bedouin contestants were thrilled. Oh, the contestants, the Arab, the Muslim contestants were actually thrilled to be in Israel, and the Mexican contestant was almost in tears at her opportunity. To see it, uh, one of the judges, apparently from India, according to this blog post, also gave a call out at how great Israel is. Our Ministry of Tourism, boys and girls, really rose to the challenge. I'm not a big—I uh, don't really watch these things. I never watch Eurovision, although I have to tell you, I was once at Eurovision. That was like an accident. I don't know what happened. Not one nation withdrew from the competition, competition, according to my sources, because of the BDS boycott. Now, there were many who had COVID issues, and it's possible that Malaysia and Indonesia used COVID as an excuse not to participate. I don't think we'd be wrong if we said that that was a possibility. But unless a a competitor says that they're withdrawing because they hate Israel, No one can claim that it was a BDS anti-Semitic victory. What was very interesting, um, a lot of interesting, like under the kind of under the headline occurrences. One was that other Muslim participants were feeling a lot of pressure from their home countries. And yet they came through with real grace, real elegance, and they did not succumb to the haters. And this I loved that, um, the Israeli organizers they tried to get the Miss Universe uh, organization to drop the swimsuit competition because they you know it objectifies women I would agree with that but they didn't succeed but still there was an unlikely heroine who was the unlikely heroine Miss Bahrain the Bahraini contestant she came out. Fully covered during the swimsuit competition, but it was very sweet. She was wearing a very attractive kind of active wear. We know they call them burkinis here, like burkas and bikinis. They're called burkinis. And it was very impressive since she is the first Bahraini contestant for Miss Universe ever. And to imagine that the first Miss Bahrain would compete on a stage in the Holy Land of Israel. And uh, a lot of very angry people out there. You wanted to vilify Israel. You wanted to make us look bad. Did not work. Let's see. Anything else I want to say about La'Ela, Lelila? I love her. Please God. You know, my trip, I was supposed to be talking to you from South Africa. And I'm not. The trip was canceled. Anybody in South Africa can get me a visit with her when I come there? I would like to. Okay. Cute, fun. Some of my show was a little bit hostile today so let me just end this segment with something that i consider to be very funny the five stages of a jewish goodbye i winced with tears thinking about this because it is so true the five stages of jewish goodbye one the initial goodbye two the goodbye in the kitchen three we continue the goodbye in the living room Four, the goodbye in the doorway, and five, the final goodbye while you're still sitting in the car with the engine running. <sighs> Happy I'm Jewish, because at least I can make fun. If somebody else told this, I don't think I would be so thrilled. Okay, let's see. What are we not not talking about today? We're not going to talk about memory loss, because I forgot to read the article, and that um, misremembering, I just came across something, misremembering might actually be a sign your memory is working optimally. Maybe we should talk about that professor at Fordham. Maybe he was actually doing a good thing. Memory errors may actually indicate a way in which the human cognitive system is optimal or rational. I guess that I will talk about this perhaps next week, if I remember, because we're going to be going to a break soon. When we come back, We're going to talk about parental playing favorites, the introduction of sickness in the world, and again, the gift of mourning, and also a few fun things for you to discuss at your Shabbos tables. Very anxious to hear your thoughts on the subject. My name is Andrea Simintov. Guess what? I'll see you on the other side. And we're back. Andrea Simenkov, pull up a chair on Israel, Newstalkradio.com. Okay, here we are. Oh, a cough. All right. We are talking about the Parsha of Vayechi. Pay attention. You might want to take notes today because what's so incredible is how it all connects to our real, real world. Funny that I would start talking about Parsha. Parsha is the Torah portion by quoting Pablo Picasso. He's quoted as once saying, only put off until tomorrow what you are willing to die having left undone. This Parsha, and again, we'll use the Hebrew if you have any questions. If I sometimes I have a tendency. (coughs) Oh, excuse me. The engineer sometimes scolds me and says to me, you know, you have to use the English words and I forget. Okay, what should I say? I forget. We'll talk about it next week on Memory and Loss. But I sometimes forget to use the Hebrew. So the Parsha is the Torah portion. The Torah is divided up. Each week we read a different Parsha. Anyway, it details Yaakov's preparation. Yaakov is Jacob, his preparation for death, his subsequent death, and his burial. Now, al- now although the Parsha routinely speaks about Yaakov's preparation uh, before death, his ability to prepare for that eventuality was unique. Believe it or not, this is the first time the Torah discusses somebody knowing that his death is coming. Yaakov became ill and that, um, and that fact was relayed to Yosef. Behold, your father is sick. It was with surprise that this message was relayed since until the time of Yaakov, People did not experience illness, they would die suddenly without warning. Yaakov wanted to change this and he prayed to God to grant people a short illness prior to death so that they may recognize the inevitable and have time to settle their worldly affairs or as we say, get their affairs in order. So as his strength, Yaakov, is ebbing and the illness takes over, he prepares for death, not only in the physical sense, by giving instructions for his burial, I guess leaving a checklist, or I guess the version of a will, uh, but in the spiritual sense as well, by imparting his vision of the future through the act of blessing his children as well as two of his grandchildren. The two grandchildren which he blessed were Ephraim and Manasseh. The children of Yosef. I I just want to jump in here. I have a note ahead, but I just want to say that commenting on his blessings of these two grandchildren, Rabbi Pincus Pelley uh, in the Sefer in the book Torah Today says While there are animals and birds who relate to their offspring, only humans relate to grandchildren. For that relationship to be meaningful, One has to be able to transmit to grandchildren the tradition one received from us or them, the grandparents. Okay, so what happens here? How do we see this happening? Yaakov places his right hand on Ephraim's head, even though he's the younger one, and the left hand on Menashe's head. He actually crosses his arms. Yaakov maneuvers his hands because Menashe was the firstborn. By blessing Ephraim, the younger one of the two brothers with his right hand, he gives the younger son priority over his older brother. Um, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, I quote him often, stresses that there's no ethical or spiritual superiority deriving from birth order. I know that this is a very unpopular thought. The only advantage a firstborn has is based on material inheritance, Yaakov Through Ruach HaKodesh, divine inspiration, he chooses to grant priority uh, in the blessing on the basis of whose offspring will be greater instead of on the basis of who is the firstborn. Yaakov's action by this little hand switch business rejects that pagan custom of favoring the firstborn merely because of birth order. Yaakov instead shows that Judaism places greater importance in the concept of what a person is and what he will become. Among a lot of the commentators to this passage, the Kli Yakar observes that Hashem chooses the weak and downtrodden frequently, as opposed to that cult of strength that's associated with or typically associated with a status of the firstborn. Um, I'm going to just take a little break from the story, from the storyline. We know it's not a history book. book, And I did want to tell you, I had this thought. The Torah uses a metaphor that refers to people or persons in particular as unstable as water. Well, what the heck does this mean? And it shows us the living reality of a trait of impulsivity. Um, Gee, it gets me back to thinking about the first chapter of this show today. Impulsive as water, or just as water flows quickly, so is the behavior of a person who acts impulsively without carefully thinking about what he is to do. I guess we're supposed to correlate this to um, Yaakov. If you do not weigh the consequences of your behavior, you're going to make a lot of harmful mistakes and it's going to cause a lot of damage. I just thought that this is a fun thing to talk about at our Shabbos tables, find out what our kids think about it, what our parents think of this. Is there a time when impulsivity is a desirable trait or is it always crummy? Okay, the end of the era of the avot our forefathers, and the 12 brothers that created and formed the Jewish people. It takes place, actually, in this week's Parsha. I think we're finishing the book of Bereshis, the book of Genesis. You know, this is the exciting book, the one where everything happens. We're not counting gold loops and weighing... uh, Shekel pieces and (laughs) pieces of silver and talking about the fabric. Okay, this is the fun book that everybody refers to and they say, oh, I read the Bible. But it's very important to take it a little bit deeper, a little bit more textured. So this family of 70, the houses of Yaakov, in the rest of the book, they're going to grow, they're going to multiply and face centuries of pain and slavery in Egypt before a redemption. None of this, of course, in this week's Parsha, is apparent yet. So this deathbed scene of Yaakov is one of the most poignant, the most inspirational in all of the Torah. Yaakov wishes to tell his children and family what yet lies ahead of them in Egypt, and afterwards, until the end of time. But what happens? Heaven isn't allowing him to do so. And as troubling as as it is, not to know the future, certainly for us, um, but none of us are a Yaakov, it is perhaps even more troubling to know that it's that ignorance of the future that allows humans to somehow exploit the present and, um, and exploit others. So knowing the future makes a life, makes all of life, an exercise of kind of a faded existence, it robs people of their choices in life and kind of, you know, stultifies, cripples any impulse towards creativity and discovery. Yaakov, he tells his children of an ultimate future until Shiloh arrives. But the germane, immediate future is hidden from him and his descendants. And if he has a hard time with that, well, what about the rest of us, right? <sighs> the present can somehow still tell us about the future. Yaakov blesses his children individually according to their personality traits and accomplishments. That's why we see the blessing of one grandson over another. The assessment of them becomes a kind of a blueprint for their future as well. It's as though Yaakov analyzes the DNA of each of his sons and he sees their genetic potential, the genetic potential, that will be realized in the future. Yehuda, he's already the king of his brothers. And Yaakov is confident that this trait of leadership will continue throughout the generations of Israel. Issachar, Issachar, he is, I say Issachar, it's Issachar, I don't know how you say it in English. He's now the student and the scholar and Zvolen is already the consummate commercial expert, I guess he's the businessman. Yaakov does not see the unknown future, but he 's shrewd he 's a perceptive judge of the present, and even on his deathbed and even with this unknown future he he vaguely glimpses a realistic and wise picture of the present heaven unfortunately, does not allow him to view the future through prophecy or other supernatural means. That's not what the Torah is about. The Torah is real. The Torah breathes. It is a blueprint for all of us and our days. But what's very interesting is that heaven never interferes with that kind of basic instinct, wisdom, and analysis of the present by human beings. It doesn't bully us. And this is what is clearly represented in the blessings of Yaakov to his sons. The Torah emphasizes this point, and it will say to us at the conclusion of the book of Devarim that's coming up. Well, I'm going to stop here. I just want to close with the idea that Yaakov showed preferential treatment on his younger son, Yosef. We all know the story, and this made the other brothers envious of him to the point that they actually considered taking his life. Yaakov again shows greater affection to the younger grandson Ephraim over his brother Menashe, But this time there's no sign of ugly envy pitting brother against brother. So Rabbi Avraham Torski says in living each week we have no way of knowing why some people have lives that are more comfortable while others are subjected to severe distress. But we have an option to be envious like Yosef's brothers, or of accepting divine judgment and just and proper outcomes, just like Yosef's son Manasha, and adjusting to what we have so that we can enjoy it. Shabbat Shalom mivorach, um, from Jerusalem.
0: Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the Israel News Talk Radio dot home page log in as yourself or an anonymous guest and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel news talk radio, and you can make new friends. Israel news talk radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel news talk radio. Where can you get the inside
1: news on Israel? Israel.